This week was the official beginning of summer. And I can go one or two different directions. Um, you can either be really excited or you can be really optimistic about it, or it creates kind of this sense of panic, like you're kind of, you're kind of depressed, like, ugh, Look, the year is halfway over, and I have not done a single thing what I wanted to do. Earlier this year, I shared about some of those health goals that I had, and I still have not gone to the Y. Like, I have not stepped foot at the Y. <laughs> and so part of me is like, I really have to run. I've got to do those things that I said I was going to do. <laughs> the summer seems really fun. It seems exciting. You know, it's something that we look forward to. It's a time for, for late days, vacations, camping, camps, the pool, cookouts, the park, swim lessons, uh, family reunions. And one of the indicators for me here in Kansas that I know that it's officially summer is when everyone in my neighborhood starts mowing their lawn. And if you're a homeowner, you kind of know what I'm talking about. It's like this, this peer pressure. And, and my wife, she gives me a hard time because my neighbors, they, they like to maintain their lawns and they'll, they'll like mow their lawn once a week. And it's like seven in the morning and... And, you know, the, the lawnmower is going and I wake up all groggy and, and I'm looking outside the window like, okay, what's going on here? And my wife's like, you're not thinking about mowing the lawn, are you? Like, nope, nope. <laughs> but I mowed the lawn yesterday and so that's, a, that's an indicator that summer is officially here. <laughs> and, and just the idea of intentionally unwinding or this change from the normal routine, it, it can be very therapeutic. It can be very helpful to us. And some of the things that I love about summers here in Kansas are the outdoor activities and enjoying nature. And if you grew up in a big city like I did, you know, there's a, a, a sense of appreciation for what Kansas has to offer. It's all this space and all the openness. I love watching the planes just go from one point to the other because it feels like you've got so much breathing room. And there's so many things that you can do. Um, in fact, we've kind of gained a new appreciation for the state of Kansas and and one of the things that we do every summer is we, we come up with a bucket list of three things that we at least want to do uh, during the summer. And this year on our bucket list, first thing that we want to do is we want to visit the Eisenhower Presidential Library in Abilene, Kansas. We also want to go see uh, Big Brutus, which if you don't know what Big Brutus is, it's this gem in southeast Kansas. Those are people at the very bottom corner there. So uh, fun fact Big Brutus is 160 feet high, and it's uh, 11 million pounds. It's this giant monster electric shovel. It was shipped in 150 railroad cars, and it was assembled on site. And it was only used for about 10 years, and after it was done with its purpose, this thing was so big and, and so huge that rather than repurpose it, they said, we're just going to leave it where it's at. And so they <laughs> it's kind of stuck in place. And the, the company donated a bunch of land and they've kind of created a museum around it. So it's become a, a tourist attraction. Um, I, I still don't know exactly where it's at because it's not like it's, it's near a major town or a city. It's just, it's just there. And so <laughs> one of the things that we plan to do this summer is to go see Big Brutus. <laughs> and then, of course, uh, plenty of pool time. And so how are we doing? Well, it's been a month since school's gone out. And we're still waiting to do those things. Uh, and now that summer's officially here and all these other activities have started piling on, 
we're like, uh, like this, this is a lot. Uh, those routines, those things that we look forward to, or the change in routines, I mean, that, that can be overwhelming. Uh, at the same time, that realization that we're the, midway through the year, it can create this sense of panic. And our motivation sometimes wanes, and it feels like our energy takes an extended break. I'm currently in the middle of summer school, and I, I texted my friends. I said, I, I just... I'm having a hard time finding the motivation to finish my assignments. And immediately, I got a response back from everyone, and they, they confirmed, they echoed everything that I was saying. They were like, I'm right there with you. Like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I've got all these other activities. I've got all these other things going on, and I can relate. And they're like, I've hit a slump. So this idea of the summer slump, uh, it, it's something that's very familiar with teachers because students, they learn all this stuff during the semester, and then they go home for the summer, and then they forget this, and then you come back, and they have to relearn it all over again. And it's even worse if you're in college because most of the classes that you take the next semester, you kind of build off of the previous semester, and especially if they're prerequisites, you're kind of like, okay, I've got the summer, and then everything else, and you forget and then you have to relearn or you have to reteach yourself. And, and professors are less forgiving. They're not going to go over the same material over again. And because we, we hit this slump, we hit this dip. And you see this in all kinds of areas of life. Uh, we take a break during the summer, we hit these lows. You see it in businesses, you see it in, in our spiritual life, in our own spiritual journey. So for the next few weeks, we're going to learn from some key figures and moments in Scripture of people who have fallen into a slump. And then we'll see how God meets them in their lowest moment. Because difficult seasons and hard moments in life are going to happen. That is guaranteed. But God also promises to be our provider, the lifter of our heads, and our encourager in those times. So today we're going to be in the book of Exodus. So if you have your Bible or a Bible app, uh, Go ahead and turn to the book of Exodus, and we're going to be in chapter 17, starting in verse 8. Uh, and if you're new to the faith or if you're not familiar with the Bible, the book of Exodus is at the very beginning of what we call the Old Testament. And it's actually part of the Jewish scriptures in what is also known as the Torah or the, the first five books of our Bible. So the main thing to remember with the Exodus story is that it's a story of deliverance. It's the story of the leadership of Moses, and most importantly, it's the story of God's promises and faithfulness to his people, the Israelites. Now, in verse 8, we find that the Israelites are in a low. Now, they, they're journeying through the wilderness after being delivered from slavery in Egypt, and it's in this wilderness that they would spend most of their 40-year desert experience, but they weren't alone. The same God that delivered them from Egypt was also with them, guiding them during the day with a pillar of cloud and then lighting them by night with a pillar of fire. So in other words, the very same presence of God was with them throughout the entire journey. And God showed up in many ways. God provided shelter. God provided food. God provided water. But that wasn't enough. The people complained. The people grumbled. And at one point, they were so upset that they desired to return to Egypt rather than keep on going. And even worse, 
Exodus chapter 16, verse 3 tells us that the Israelites said to Moses and Aaron, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. They were so unhappy with their situation that they would rather be dead than on their way to the promised land. Now imagine this. The Israelite nation had been in slavery for so long that they were longing for that, for that redeemer. They were longing for that deliverance. And when that deliverance finally came and they were on the way to the promised land, they were so unsatisfied that they said, you know what, I think we would much rather go back to slavery or even worse, just die than to be here. So that's kind of the context of where we're at. And so let's dive into our, our uh, scripture here in, in verse 8. Exodus 17, starting in verse 8, says, The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So imagine the scene. The Israelites, weary from their grueling journey, suddenly find themselves under the attack from the Amalekites. Now, the Amalekites were the people of the desert. They were the first nation to attack the Israelites. They were also the enemy of the Israelites. So fear and uncertainty gripped their hearts. But amidst all of this chaos, their leader, Moses, emerges. Verse 10. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. So Moses, standing on top of a hill, holds the staff of God in his hands. And the staff of God, it symbolizes the power and the divinity that sustains them. It was this same staff that, that God told Moses to show the Egyptians what God's power was like. It's the same staff that was converted into a snake and then back into a staff. It was the same staff that God said, strike the Nile River with. It was the same staff that, that God used to part the Red Sea. And it was the same staff that God told Moses to strike the rock and then people got water to drink. And so here we see that God is, is showing his power. God is showing what he can do. And as long as Moses had this staff and his arms were raised, victory was within their grasp. But Moses was human. <laughs> Moses was like, man, like, like you and me. And so his hands got tired. And his hands began to falter. And when his hands would go down, that's when the battle would go in the other direction. Verse 12. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other side, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. And so here's the beauty of this passage. Moses is not alone. Aaron and Hur, recognizing the gravity of the situation, they rush to his aid and they become pillars of support, holding Moses' hands so that hope did not waver. 
And together, they form an unbreakable bond, a unified front against adversity. So here's what we learn from this passage. There are many characters in this story that we can identify with. There's Moses. There's Aaron. There's her. And there's Joshua. But another way of seeing this is that there are helpers and there are people that need to be helped. And in our passage, Joshua, Moses sent Joshua to fight the Amalekites while he stood with Aaron and her at the top of the hill. And he noticed that the Israelites were winning while he kept his arms in the air. However, when his arms would, would get too tired to be lifted up, he needed support to endure. And that's when Aaron and her stepped in to support his arms until the battle was won. So I've always admired marathon runners because it takes a special kind of mental and physical toughness and effort to run long distances, let alone do it routinely and competitively. And the running community in very general is very close. It doesn't matter what your distance is. It doesn't matter where you are. The running community in general is very close. And it doesn't take a whole lot to be a part of the running community. Just a pair of shoes, running clothes, a trail, or the outdoors. And if you're and there's a mutual respect because everyone understands the work that goes on to train and to run a race. And if you're out on the trails or, or if you're uh, running with a group, you'll notice something that's called the runner's wave. The runner's wave um, usually goes a lot like this. And then you keep going. <laughs> it's the runner's wave. It's the runner's wave. Uh, and the reason why runners do that is because they, they have this this mutual respect for each other, right? It's like, hey, I see you. I see your grind. I see your, your training, your motivation. I see what you're doing, the hard work that you're putting in, and I just want to acknowledge that, right? It, it's a way to, to not just show that respect, but for also to acknowledge the work that's putting on. And during races, you use that. You kind of cheer each other on. And I've been a part of running events where I've provided support to others, and it's usually been with 5Ks or 10Ks, you kind of cheer each other on, like, you can do this. Like, we're almost there. Uh, pain is weakness, leaving the body. You know, you kind of have these sayings that you start telling each other. It's all a mental mindset, but, but it works. Uh, but not that long ago, I was challenged to run a full marathon. And I took on that challenge. Uh, but I was fortunate enough to be a part of a group that encouraged each other and that we challenged each other. And we would go on long-distance runs together, and we would keep each other accountable for our training schedules and, and our eating habits. And it's usually them just kind of telling me, hey, you know, stop eating junk food, let go of the hot Cheetos, uh, drink more water, and things like that. But it, it worked because I was part of a community, that, a part of a running group, that, that together we were kind of unified for this common goal. And it was this running group that actually helped me finish this marathon. I remember that uh, on the day of the race, it was actually around mile 19 that my body was just starting to wear out. And I, I could no longer support myself. Like, it, it was really hard for me to keep going and sustaining that pace. And I went from jogging to walking, and then eventually I stopped. I just didn't have it in me anymore. I didn't have it in me to keep going. And I wasn't alone. There were actually others throughout the course that, I mean, it was hot. We were tired. There, was, there wasn't enough water or Gatorade that, that could keep us going. We just needed that little extra push. 
Fortunately, there was someone from my group that they caught up to me, and she's like, you've got to keep going. Like, you've got this. Like, we can't stop now. Like, we have to keep going. And she reminded me of all the training, all the work that I have put in. She reminded me of, of the commitment. She reminded me of, of the joy that I would finish when I crossed the finish line. And the people that were there to support me, the people that had made the trip to come see me cross the end. And that was enough. That was enough for me to say, okay, I'm going to keep going. And together, we kind of jogged, walked the, the last seven miles. But it was because of her support and that community that I was able to finish it. And that's the only marathon that I've done so far. Uh, years later, I, I, I told myself, okay, you know, one marathon is enough. I think I can do this. And, and this was like right around the pandemic when we couldn't really gather or, or be in groups. And I really missed this group because I, I started training for another marathon. I said, ah, you know, I did it once. I can do it. Uh, and I made it about two-thirds of the way into training when I was running over on, on Central and 13th Street, and I just didn't have it in me anymore. I stopped, and I called my wife. I said, you need to come pick me up because I just can't. <laughs> I can't do this. <laughs> She's like, are you sure? You should keep going. I said, I can't. I can't. Like, I, I couldn't even walk across the street. That was, that was it for me. <laughs> and so I relied on this community because they were there. They understood my need, and they were there to keep me up, to support me when I needed them. You know, and at some point, we'll either be helpers or someone needing help. And one of the things, one of the quotes that has, that has resonated with me is, is this saying, and that is, the fact that we are helpers doesn't mean we don't need to be helped. The fact that we are helpers doesn't mean we don't need to be helped. When we are in stressful, exhausting moments or experiencing a slump of some kind, it's okay to ask for help from trusting, wise people. You may not even know what, what to ask for, but just showing a vacancy or expressing that may lead someone to answer that prayer. Or if you're the one that's hearing the needs of those around you, listen for ways that you can be that person, the hands and feet of Jesus, to meet that specific need. But don't neglect to remind that person to keep their eyes and ears attent to the Father's voice. Be encouraging. Be need meters. And this community is a perfect example of that. And one of the things that we like to say is that the church is not a building or an institution. And we gather here on Sunday mornings, but this place is not the church. We are the church. We as individuals, as a community of Jesus followers, we make the hands and feet of Jesus. You know, and hopefully throughout the past few weeks you've gotten to hear just how raw that can be. Because life is complicated. And you've heard from, from Katie, from the Hagans and, and their story, and how it was this community that was essential, important in their life to keep going. You know, I think of, of Chad and the sabbatical. I think of the opportunity that we've given him to be able to rest. You know, one of the toughest things in ministry is to kind of turn off. You can't really do that. Um, and one of the toughest things in ministry is that you're filled with so much love 
and compassion and care, and you really do care, like you hear people, what they're going through, and you put yourself in their shoes, and you want to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the community, and you want to see great things happen in the community. But sometimes we pour out so much, we pour out so much, that it's so hard to lead from an empty cup. And so I witness how this community has rallied around Chad, We've witnessed how this community has rallied around others. I think of the pandemic. During the pandemic, the group gathered together and we said, how can we help those around us? And we immediately made a COVID fund and we said, we're going to set money aside because we know that there are people in this community that that are going to have needs. And I got to witness how behind the scenes we got to help others, either with groceries, with bills. Someone would come and say, "I, I just... I can't do it. I mean, one of the stressful things was not knowing what the future was going to look like. And during that time, we were able to support those in our community because we knew, we cared, and we saw that, and we wanted to step into action. So those are some of the things that, that we can do. And we say that life is complicated, and we want to help because we realize that hard moments and hard seasons come and go. And especially now, we're, we're told that people are more anxious, People are more stressed out. People are searching for longing. People are feeling hopeless. And we believe that Jesus brings the ultimate message of hope. And there are times when our attention needs to be refocused on Jesus. One great illustration of helping someone stay focused on God during times of stress is is seen during a pediatric dental visit. Uh, When a young child visits a dentist for the first time, the dentist's main goal is to help the child get used to the idea of having the dentist check their mouth. And so to lessen their fear, the dentist will practice something that's called a knee-to-knee examination. And that's when the child sits on the parent's lap facing mom or dad. And then the dentist's knees are touching the parent's knees, and they create kind of this, this small table. And with care, the child is tenderly laid back so that the dentist can gently examine the child's mouth. But the child continues to look at the parent's face and can hear the parent's voice the entire time. So during a stressful or uncomfortable moment, we can practice keeping our eyes on Jesus and listening to his voice. Just like the child does during a scary event, like the first dental checkup, Sometimes, though, we are too distracted by the stress factors around us to remember to keep our eyes and ears tuned to the voice of God. And that is where our church family, where this community steps in and helps us point back to the Father, lifting our face to the one who can truly fight our battles. Frequently, our minds go to the idea of helping others financially. There's nothing wrong with that. (laughs) But there are other very creative, meaningful ways to support the arms of those around us. Is there someone here in this community or in your neighborhood that could maybe learn how to change a tire? Is there someone that could use translation support? Perhaps there's someone that needs tutoring, mentoring. Uh, Perhaps there's a couple or someone that just had a child and they just really need a breather. Like they need, 
they need your, your guidance or your mentorship on how to deal with the stresses of, of, of sleep time or, you know, how to deal with the stresses of parenthood or just a babysitter, just so that they can have a few hours of sanity just to go out either on a date night or just do something as simple as, as running an errand on their own. And perhaps there's someone from the elderly community that could use a visitor to lift his or her spirits a few times a month. Maybe you can think of the college graduate in your work environment or that intern that you're working with that could use some help kind of adjusting to what life is like after school or what that workload looks like. And maybe there's someone that struggles to live out his or her faith and could use your support. All these things all take a little bit of time. But sharing our areas of expertise with someone else is a tremendous blessing in a way that we can practically meet the needs of others in our community. And so here's how the story ends. Through their collective effort, the Israelites triumphed over the enemies. They prevailed because they understood the power of community and the strength that comes from lifting each other up, even when weariness threatened to overwhelm them. Verse 14, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered, and make sure that Joshua hears it, because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. And he said, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. Now, one of God's attributes is on display here. He's Yahweh Nisi. That means the Lord is my banner. And it's lifting that we lift our needs and praises to him because he is the one who fights our battles and wins our victories. Psalm chapter 20 verse 5 says, May we shout for joy over your victory and lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. So I'd like the band to, to come up. We're going to close out this service and, and then we'll participate of communion. But in my own personal life, I've experienced slumps. And it wasn't that long ago that I felt like my own spiritual journey was hitting a low, a deep low. And I remember that I was uh, introduced to this, this idea that it's in silence that you can sometimes find God speaking to you. And one of the things that I was encouraged to do was to go out into a quiet place and to write a letter to myself. Like, what is God telling you right now? It's really hard to do that because, like, what would your Heavenly Father be, be saying to you? A lot of the things that I heard in my mind were a lot of the things that I was telling myself. It was really hard to do that. 
And it wasn't just me that was doing this. We were kind of a group of us that we were doing this exercise. And, and we all went to, to various parts of this one building that we were in. And we, we took a journal, pen, and we were told, in silence, I want you to just stay still, be quiet, and listen to the Father's voice. What is God telling you right now? What is God saying of you right now? And I immediately started to cry because all these things, all these emotions just started coming to me. And I realized that my life was so busy that everything around me was, was just, I made it so challenging that I forgot that one, God is with me. That God is for me. That God sees me. That God sees me. So I want to echo that to everyone here today. God sees you. So you could be hitting a spiritual low. Maybe you're in the midst of that right now trying to figure out what faith, what following Jesus looks like. And it feels chaotic. It feels like there's all this burden that's kind of been, been placed on your shoulder. But we're told God is for us. God is with us. And God sees us. One of the things that came out of that was a very emotional experience. that we are complicated people. We are complicated people. But God can deal with complicated. He can deal with it. So when we find ourselves in a slump, needing support to conquer a task or endure a hard season, we can find help with God, but also with God's people. So if you're not in need of that support, look to your left. Look to your right. Maybe there's someone in this community that could use your help. Because we all come here, and sometimes we portray our best selves. But it's okay to not be okay. And that is where God does His work. That is where this community can step in and do God's work. We are all Joshua. We all have our battles that we are fighting. And while Joshua was fighting, he was looking up at Moses. And the image that's portrayed here is that of a savior. Because we're told that Moses had his arms lifted up. Whenever he had his arms lifted up, that's when victory was obtained. There's another time where we see that. And that is with Jesus nailed to the cross. The only difference is that Moses was being supported by Aaron and her. And Jesus was supported by nails on the cross. And so we look to him because we realize that he is our hope. We realize that he is the one who conquers our battles and that he has already done it. 
by dying on the cross and then being resurrected. And it is in that hope that we find our victory. That we find that the battle has already been won. So one of the things that we do to remind ourselves of that is we take what is called communion. When we participate in the Lord's Supper, the bread symbolizing his body and then the wine symbolizing his blood. These are things that we're told to do as followers of Jesus to remember him, to remember not just who he is, but the sacrifice that he's done for us. And it grounds us. It grounds us because it shows us, one, he is everything in our life. That he is everything in our life. So here in a moment, the band's going to lead us in a song. Uh, and while they do, you're welcome to go to, to the tables. If you're a follower of Jesus, we've got various stations that are set up for you to participate of communion, of the bread and the wine. And you can do it uh, quietly when you feel need and prompted to. And before we do that, I kind of want to res- remind us about why we do that. And the passage that comes to mind is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 34. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my body. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Pray with me. Father, beginning of summer can come with so many emotions. It can create a sense of joy. It can create a sense of panic. And we are going through our own seasons in this life right now. Many of us are, are at this high where everything around us is great. Maybe some of, some of us are, are at this low where life just feels so chaotic. Activities and everything around us just feels like we just... We have a hard time finding the motivation to go on. And the same can be said for, for our own spiritual lives. Maybe we're struggling. Maybe we're having a difficult time. Just finding that motivation to keep going. But God, we believe that you are the one that sustains us. And we surrender our problems. We surrender our lows, our highs. We surrender everything to you, God, because you are the one that keeps us going. And we believe that you have fought that battle for us and you have won. And it is through Jesus, God, that, that we see that, that sacrifice on the cross. And we remember that. We remember that. God, I pray for this community and for those around us that we can be those need meters to others around us, that we can support those that are in need. We can help. And if we're in need of help, God, that we can, we can call out for help. 
we can rely on you. That we will make a difference not only in this community, but in this city and those around us. So we remember that. Your sacrifice, that it is you, that it is Jesus, that allows us to do that because Jesus is worth following. Jesus is everything in our lives. We pray all these things. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.